You're listening to Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show about books, people who read, and how reading at its very best is a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. There is the old philosophical question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Likewise, if you read a book and don't discuss it, have you enjoyed all the perks of being a book lover? I'm your host, Amy. I've been a member of numerous book clubs over the last 25 years and started quite a few. I love asking people what they're reading so that they'll ask me the same. I'm a vintage bookseller, a traveler wannabe, and a fanatic about dogs. And I'm your host, Carrie. I'm an English teacher, a freelance writer, a blogger, and the person whose Instagram feed features more photos of my cats than my kids. Each week, we will talk with a guest who shares the love of reading, how they impart that passion, and what books really catch them on fire. We will also tell you about our literary lives, what books are on our nightstands, and other bookish fun. Welcome. Listeners, we hope you're enjoying our show. If you like what we do, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It only takes a minute, but it's incredibly important to help other listeners find us. And if you'd like to see additional photos and other fun stuff about our guests and show topics, check out our Facebook page or show notes at our website. Reading and writing just go together, like salt and pepper, peanut butter and jelly, Simon and Garfunkel. Well, that last pair broke up, but you know what I mean. The two are undeniably linked. Readers need writers, and writers need readers, so it makes sense that one of the perks of shared words would be a festival all about the writing process. The Writer's Block Festival is being held November 16th at Spalding University, sponsored by Louisville Literary Arts. Our guest today, Amy Miller, is the executive director of Louisville Literary Arts an organization whose mission it is to offer writers support in whatever stage they are in, whether that be before any words are put on a page or to an already published author. And while the Writer's Block Festival is their biggest event, Louisville Literary Arts provides numerous other programs, many of them free all year round. Amy tells us about why you don't need to go back to school or have an MFA to pursue writing, what the difference is between a writer who is a plotter and one who is a pantser, and what her personal perfect writing gig would look like. We are in the studio today with Amy Miller, the Executive Director of Louisville Literary Arts. And so she's going to be talking to us about all the different activities and events that Louisville Literary Arts has. So welcome, Amy, to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Tell us first just a little bit about yourself. So I was working on my MFA at Spalding University, and I had two little kids at home. And for some reason, I thought, hey, let's do something extra. And I started freelance writing. My very first job or my first assignment was to do an article on the Writer's Block Festival, which LLA puts on, and to write about what is literary Louisville. And I got so intrigued by the director of the project and what they were trying to accomplish that I signed up to volunteer and that's the kiss of death right I there. I know. And then they wouldn't let me go. <laughs> so I just kept getting more responsibilities until I was on the board. <laughs> and then I knew that they were creating a position and that I was being considered. So I had to submit my resume and interview with everybody else and I got the job. So how long have you been in total associated with the organization since 2011 okay yeah and how long has louisville literary arts the organization been around 
So I don't know how most nonprofits answer this question, <laughs> but ours is so complicated. I can't just give you a date. So it started as a reading series in 2004. And that reading series still goes on. In fact, we're having one tonight, the Inky Reading Series. And then when Erin Keene, who started the series, and Linnell Edwards, who is a professor, well, they're both professors now at Spalding, they wanted to do this festival, but they felt like they needed an umbrella under which to, you know, fund it and put it on. And that is when they started filling out the paperwork for LLA, and that was 2010-ish probably before then. And the process is so long, it didn't actually get approved until 2014. Oh, wow. So that's the official date, but we were operating before then. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of good things that happen, they tend to start slow and they build and they build and they build, but it takes a while for them to become official, official, official. Right, right. You're talking about government right right (laughs) doesn't move fast you mentioned the festival yes that's coming up in november so tell us a little bit about what that is even though amy and i know what that is because (laughs) we're gonna be there but tell us a little bit about that so the writer's block festival is coming up this november 16th it's an all-day smorgasbord for writers and readers um we'll have special guests who will be our faculty members so there's five faculty members who teach workshops and those are paid workshops but the festival itself is free admission and it runs from nine in the morning till about six in the evening and it will be at Spalding University for the second year just to give you a little history the initial idea for it was to have well, we had it in Nulu, and went. And we just borrowed space from various galleries and restaurants. And so we wanted to have it in a block of spaces, so it was the writer's block. <laughs> what we discovered was we lost people oh. in between buildings. They would just drive home, and oh. they didn't go to the next thing. Oh. And then we had this big keynote event, and it would be in a separate location. And then we'd have a whole different crowd for that. And we want people to stay for the whole day and get the most out of it. I mean, it's free. So you know, stay and, and meet people and learn. So we moved to the Tim Faulkner Gallery. And then last year when that closed, we had to scramble and Spalding rescued us. And so that's why we're back there this year, mostly in their library and a little bit in their student center. So we'll have panels, we'll have author readings. We have the workshops, which are paid Oh, we have this group called Poetry Is. They're running a self-led ekphrastic poetry workshop in the gallery, which basically they're going to give you a sheet of paper with a bunch of prompts, and you can circulate through the art gallery with these prompts to get ideas for writing something on the spot. And then either you'll be invited to perform those pieces in the afternoon, (laughs) your face, (laughs) (laughs) or they will find someone to perform it. And they have musicians. It is so crazy and I can't wait to see what they come up with wow it's gonna be that very sounds invigorating like I'm a little bit like it's exciting but it also feels a little intimidating like oh you know like your stuff could be yeah red exactly yeah but that's cool it that's is cool. cool not everybody will have to you just have that option right we'll have a whole room of exhibitors and they represent other nonprofits. we have the library every year they're really popular at this we'll have Uh, various journals and writing programs from different universities around the state and in Indiana. 
So it's a great time to meet people within the industry. If you want to try to get your work published, you can ask questions right there with the editors. You can find out about contests and submissions. So it's just like this giant resource for one day. So is it geared toward adults or could teenagers who are interested in writing come and get Absolutely. something out of it? Yes, okay. please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, two of our faculty members are teachers at summer writing programs. Olivia Cole is a young adult author, so she's she's got some very successful books out right now, and she lives here. She teaches in the Governor's School for the Arts program in their creative writing department, and then Joe Sackstetter works at Interlochen in Michigan, and so that's a high school program as well. And he, both of them have opened their workshops to teens, but I really think that all of the professors would be comfortable teaching teens as well. And I think the topics are broad enough that they could find something enjoyable there as well. And I, I'm hoping that we're going to have some teen readers as well this year. I'm still trying to finalize that. But the whole event will end with Tara Anderson, who does the Five Things podcast for WFPL. She'll interview Garth Greenwell, who is a fiction writer, a novelist who is a finalist for the National Book Award, and he's a local homeboy done well. You know, he's from here. And so she'll interview him at four, and then at five he'll deliver his keynote, which will probably be a reading from his new book that comes out in January. Well, let me ask you this. So if somebody is interested in getting something published and they come to the Writer's Block Festival, Will there be people there who can explain to them a little bit what the process is? Some of those publishers or reps that that are going to be there? Some of the exhibitors will be able to answer those type of questions. There's usually a few small presses and then there are journals so they can speak to what they do. But then we also will have three agents on hand who are taking one-on-one pitches. And those are also a fee, but it's, it's $25 for 10 minutes with an agent. So even if you're not finished, it's really good to get that industry, you know, feedback on what are you doing right? What do you need to work on? Or you can just ask them questions for 10 minutes. But I usually have them do a panel to just talk about the idea of publishing and what do you do first and what is a query letter and just like just the bare bones basics so I don't know exactly what they're going to talk about this year but I know all three agents are going to be doing a panel Uh, and that's how I've gotten all my information is you know attending those sort of things at other conferences right because it's I don't even understand all the different things that you have to do and I've helped people with manuscripts and I'm like I don't understand half of it so right and it's different per genre right so there's also a prize with the writers block festival isn't there so there's a a contest annual contest that we do the writers block prize and it runs from May through August I just got the winner's name from our final judge yesterday and we'll be making that announcement very soon but what's really cool is that people have submitted from around the world. Now, I is it all so fiction? Amazed. This year, it's just fiction. So what we have done so far is just have one contest, and we circulate through the genre. So one year it's poetry, one year it's fiction. But I really want to have all three: nonfiction, fiction, and poetry. Because that's how most contests operate, and you just have a judge for each one of them. 
but that's a lot more moving parts and I would need more help. And right now I don't have that help. So unless I'd have a board member who really wanted to step up or I have a volunteer who's interested, I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a lot of interest yes. in that contest. Yes. In fact, last year, where did she come from? Boston. So our poetry winner last year came from Boston and she flew in for the festival to read her winning piece. She got to meet the judge who judged her piece because that was Maggie Smith and she was the keynote at our conference and that was so meaningful for her. And then her dad drove up from, I think, Tennessee to come and hear her read. It was so cute. I was just touched that that it was that special to her. Yeah. And I've heard from her since. And she thanked me again for inviting her to be part of it. That's I, a really that, cool experience. That is. You know, that's like one of those moments where you're like, oh, I like my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes all that other work that you're doing that right. are stressed about makes you feel like it's all worth it. Yeah, exactly. Did you do the bulk of the planning for this? I mean, is that part of the executive director's job to put all this together? Oh, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only staff person and I'm I, I know you can't see this on the podcast but I work part time <laughs> air quotes air quotes so yeah I do the bulk of all of the administrative and programmatic work but I also have board members who volunteer a lot of their time and we have a committee called the program committee that really focuses on writer's block and so I'll delegate to them, especially when I'm, like I was over the summer, completely overwhelmed with email. And I still am. I've just kind of reached a zen about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was just like, can you call the people about renting tables or tablecloths, please? Because that is just not in my brain. And then they'll do it. And it's great. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that that's a lot of moving parts. Oh, there's I so mean... many moving parts. And like this, I have redone the schedule so many times. It's still not finalized. I'm hoping soon. <laughs> the festival, is that like the, the biggest event that Louisville Literary Arts does? It is. Okay. Yeah. So besides the Writing Block Festival, what other things does Louisville Literary Arts have to offer? We have a little bit of everything. So we want to be a big resource for community writers so that you don't have to have an MFA in hand to do any of our programs. So as I said, we have... The reading series, which features one out-of-town guest and one local or Kentucky writer who are currently publishing and maybe have a new book to promote, and then also have an open mic as part of that because we really want the audience to be part of the show. And we also invite them to participate in the Q&A at the end of the reading series. And then we do one-day writing workshops, month-long writing workshops, a writing retreat in the summer. We have meetups that meet monthly and an open mic series in Jeffersonville at their O'Shea's pub. And what else do we do? I had to write it down. It's kind of getting That's crazy. a lot of stuff to oh, keep yeah. track of. So, yeah, what else? I think we do more than that. <laughs> now, you all have had, like, some trivia nights, too. We've had trivia, yeah. And we're hoping to make that more of a regular monthly thing. The plan is to get that off the ground in 2020. So, yeah, we do special events like that. Well, let's break apart some of those things because you've talked about a lot of different things that Louisville Literary Arts does. So let's talk a little bit more about the Inky 
workshops. The workshops, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about what those are like. So the way we have them right now, and I say that because we're always reevaluating things, but we'll have someone who has read at the Inky Reading Series on a Friday teach a morning workshop the next day. And I've given them a lot of freedom to choose their topics just with the guidelines of your audience is going to be all over the place. Like either you could have someone who has three degrees in there. You might have someone who's a high school grad. You might have someone who's working on their third novel and you might have grandma who's working on her memoirs just to give to the family. So, you know, keep in mind that your topic needs to be broad enough that it's going to reach a big audience. So we try to make sure that we're as balanced as possible between fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Certain writers want to choose like a really specific topic within a genre or make it cross genre. So like our last workshop was about just making your work as concise as possible. And so we were talking about poetry and microfiction. So give us an example of a writer who's come to do the inky talk in the evening and then the workshop. Are there some up and coming ones? Yeah, let's see. So tonight, the inky guests are Idris Goodwin, who is the current artistic director for Stage One, and he has a new book of poetry called Can I Kick It? And we also have William Heath coming, and he's both a historian, a poet, and a novelist. He's very prolific, but he's traveled here. He did a talk last night at the Filson, and he's got a new chapbook of poetry. So I'll tell you about what's happening in December. Sure. Katie Yoakum, she works at the Spalding School of Writing, and she just released her first novel. And it's getting a lot of really great press. She's going to teach a fiction workshop. Now, I don't remember where her topic is, but I know it's going to be on novels and fiction writing. Is there a cost to the Inky or the workshop? So Inky's free, and it's free to uh, sign up for open mic. The workshops, we try to keep them as reasonable as possible. So they're $40 if you are just discovering it for the first time. If you're a member of the organization, it's $30. And we do some sliding scale just on a person-to-person basis, just depending on what the need is. And we do have some scholarships for students. So so you have the, the inky reading that will happen like on typically on a Friday, and then the next day there's often a workshop. Mm-hmm. But you will also have meetups. Yes. So what are those like? We meet at the Gardner Lane Heine Brothers, and people can bring up to five pages of prose, any kind, or they can bring up to three poems and we discuss them in a group and if the group gets too big we'll divide up so my philosophy in forming these was heavily influenced by the spalding model which is to start with what you like about the work and then to offer suggestions in a supportive way no one should be just tearing people apart because then they won't go back to the work, you know, and and we're really about supporting writers and helping them grow. So it's become a really nice group. New people come all the time. The last one that I led, and I have a, a board member who leads this initiative, but I led one in the summer and there were like 12 people oh, there. Wow. We had to divide up and the conversations were so good. It really 
rivaled some of my graduate school experiences because people were listening and they were catching nuances and they had such great suggestions. And then I had like five people stay afterwards just to ask me questions. And I felt like a teacher again, (laughs) which was nice. So what are the levels of the writers there? Are they all sort of advanced writers or is it a mix? It's very much a mix. Very much. In fact, there was one woman at that meetup that I was talking about who has a long history as an executive level at various nonprofits, but she she really wants to start writing creatively, except she felt like she couldn't even put words on a page. Mm. So she didn't come with anything. She just wanted to absorb and sort of see how things went, but she stayed after to get some guidance on how to put words on the page. So yeah, it was exciting. So do people submit their work ahead of time so people can read it before coming? No, no. And so I how long do these last then if you have to read it? Two hours. Okay. Wow. Two hours. Yeah. Um, they'll bring multiple copies or they'll just read it out loud on their phone or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's really like, what are you getting out of it right now? Because even if you send it ahead, maybe not everybody's going to have the time mm-hmm, to do yeah. it. So it's like, these two hours are yours. Go. You know, use right. it wisely. Right. <laughs> this is like, uh, like insta-date or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speed dating. Is there a cost for the meetups? No. No, this is okay. very much a community effort. Is there anything that we've missed? Yeah. We just started offering manuscript consultations in the last year. Uh, right now, it's just in fiction and maybe some nonfiction and screenwriting. Or we've only contracted with one consultant so far just to gauge what the amount of work would be. Because once he starts getting a lot of people contacting him through us, then I know that we have reason to ask other people to come on board. But I have a about five other people who've contacted me to be consultants. Mm. And I'm hoping that I can bring them on board. That would be a great service. Yeah, it's being... really affordable. And he'll read, I think we had suggested 20 pages, but it may have been a couple chapters. It just really depends. He's willing to work with people. Mm-hmm. It's James Marker. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know Oh, yeah. yeah. We've, we've heard his name tossed around <laughs> a number of times. Yeah. Yeah. So if they're interested in that, I mean, I know you have a website. Do they just send an email through that to get yeah. information about that? There's a form to fill out on the website. Okay. So, yeah, you can just look up manuscript consultation, and it will automate an email to me and to James, and he'll contact you. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. I know some people who are constantly working on manuscripts, right. and so sometimes you don't know where to turn mm-hmm. if – you have this idea, and I think there's a, at least for me, I feel like there's all sorts of different, I guess, options for having people look at what you've written. Right. So you had mentioned a summer retreat. Mm-hmm. So we do a full day writing retreat. We've had it at various locations. It's usually somewhere that's beautiful so that you can at least look out the windows and see greenery, you know. Find some inspiration. (laughs) Although this summer was so dang hot. (laughs) I don't think many people left the room. And we'll have a morning workshop. I like to have it focused on either the writing process or something about publishing or just getting the juices flowing when you're stuck. And then it's some time to share your work if you want to. And then we break for lunch. And in the afternoon, you have time 
to work on whatever prompts were offered in the morning and wander the grounds of wherever we might be to seek inspiration. And then we come back towards the end and have some critique time for whoever wants to stay. They've been really successful and we've had stellar people presenting at them too. Professor Sarah Strictly at UofL, she was our our workshop presenter for the retreat this year. And it was the second time she taught for us where she was talking about keeping a a regular writing practice and everybody was just like glued (laughs) to the chalkboard. And she she gave 30 prompts for 30 days. I mean, for the the price alone was worth that because you walked away with so much inspiration. It was a good group. Is there a certain limit to how many people can attend? What's the the Um, number of people? I try to keep it at 20 or less. Okay. And usually it fills up. So then I think the last piece, maybe it's not the last piece, maybe there's other stuff we've missed. You all do so much (laughs) stuff. But the, the open mic nights. Oh, yeah. Those are new. So one of our volunteers, Lana Helm, she is so into open mics that she started an open mic database for this region. She'd be a good guest. <laughs> we will make notes. <laughs> and so she really wanted to have her own series, and I suggested we work together and we would help promote if she would be the host. And so she really wanted to have it in southern Indiana where she lives because there's not a lot going on there um, literary-wise. And I thought it was a great idea because we have a lot of people coming from southern Indiana to our events and workshops and I've gotten complaints about when are you going to do something in Indiana so it felt like a really good opportunity and we have space at the HM Franks which is an O-shape pub and it's a really cool old building on New Albany yeah yeah you know they'll open all the windows so it's open to the outside it's a great atmosphere you can be a songwriter a musician poet it it doesn't matter it's an open mic Bring your trade, your comic, your comedian. Oh, it can oh, be wow. anything. It can be anything. Yeah. How's participation been in those? Good. Good? Yeah. Very good. Anything else that we've missed? <laughs> there probably is. I, I mean, I'm just looking at the LouisvilleLiteraryArts.com website and the list of workshops, just all sorts of stuff and different events that you have, the open mic, the inky reading, the the meetups, and then that's not even the special events. So yeah. The thing I love about it is that a lot of these events are free or very low cost. Yeah. And so someone who wants to try their hand at writing you don't necessarily have to go to an MFA program right. or go back to school to do that. Right. And it's not a big financial commitment either. And if you just want to try it and dabble, you can. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like a workshop this month, you might like one next month. And then for those who really want to get more serious, we have the month-long classes. So we want to serve people where they are, you know, in their process. So you're really for all different levels at every stage. Absolutely. Yeah. So with all of this work that you do as the executive director of Louisville Literary Arts, do you ever have time to write yourself? I do. <laughs> yeah. It's my main hobby. So although I, I mean, I hesitate to say it's a hobby anymore because I've really been pursuing it pretty seriously since I graduated in 2014. I've published a number of essays that I've won a couple of awards and I just, can't seem to finish my collection. <laughs> Maybe that's just because I don't want to. Maybe 
I want to keep doing it some part of me. But in, in the meantime, when I get sick of my own head and writing about my life, I started writing picture books. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I have three polished manuscripts and I'm maybe talking with an important person soon. I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> That's very wow, exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. I participated in a mentorship program this summer that matched me with current picture book author who critiqued one of my manuscripts. And she liked it so much that she wanted to see more. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, I know. That's so exciting. And so she's become my champion. And every time I interact with her, I'm nearly crying because it's just so, it's so reaffirming, you know? Well, hopefully down the line, we'll have to have you back on when we're talking about your published children's books. We'll see. I hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my next career is that. <laughs> so this is a broad question, but how do you find Louisville as a literary area? I feel like our podcast is a lot about this, but I'm just mm-hmm. curious your your view of it. It's changed a lot since I moved back. I've moved back twice once after college and then once after getting married and it's really changed in early 2000s when I moved back you know most everything was centered around Carmichael's which is still an institution and they still do amazing programming for free but now there are multiple literary organizations that are offering slightly different things which is cool because you know Maybe you're really into spoken word and you can go to Lipstick Wars and get that need met. Or, you know, if you want to take a workshop, then maybe we're the people for that. I think it's an exciting time in Louisville for writers because I think there's more opportunities than there have been in the past. And I think just the library alone with their younger generation of librarians are really taking their programming and making it more updated. They're bringing in amazing writers that you can see for free. I mean, Ann Patchett is coming tonight for mm-hmm. Christ's Yes. Life. So I think it's an exciting time here. I really do. So give us the Writer's Block Festival. Give us the date again and the times mm-hmm. and how people can register if they want to register for some of those workshops that sure. do cost. Okay. So the Writer's Block Festival is going to be held Saturday, November 16th from 9 a.m. until 6 or 6.30, depending on when Garth Greenwell finishes book signing. So it will be at the Spalding University Library. That is tucked away. So if you're driving downtown on going towards downtown on Breckenridge Street, it's going to be on your right in between 3rd and 4th Street. And you could park in their parking lot of the Egan Leadership Center, which is directly on 4th Street. There should be no problem. The event is free. We have box lunches that you can go ahead and pay for and reserve now so that you don't have to worry about where you're going to find food. If you want to take a workshop or you want to sign up for one or more pitch sessions with the agents that are coming, just go to our website, which is louisvilleliteraryarts.org. And if you want to see me and Amy, you can come down too. Yes, we're going to be be there there. too. We're going to be in the exhibitors area talking about podcasts. Yeah. That's so exciting. So, And we'll have a few panels in that room too. So we didn't want to overload that room with a lot of activity, but we went 
to do a little something in there to get you guys so you're not just staring at each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited. We've never been. So we're, we're excited to excited see what it's all coming. about. Okay, well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. back with Amy Miller and we're all going to talk about what we're reading and I just want to say because I happen to know that the books that Carrie and I are probably going to talk about are sort of Halloween related so I want to say that we're recording this actually in the middle of October even though this probably won't air till after Halloween but I just wanted to make note of that so Carrie what are you reading so I don't know how I found out about this book I saw it somewhere, I guess. Who knows? You know, when, you, when you're when you constantly thinking and talking books, you forget where you see books that you want to read. I put it on reserve at the Louisville Free Public Library, and it is called Monster, She Wrote, The Women Who Pioneered Horror and Speculative Fiction. And it's by Lisa Kroger and Melanie R. Anderson. I am really enjoying this book, except for the fact that every 12 seconds I have to stop and look up a book and put it on my Goodreads list. That's the worst thing about this book. It's sort of a, a history of women who have written in the genres of horror and speculative fiction. And speculative fiction would be, you know, any kind of mystical or gothic, supernatural, anything like that. That would fall under the umbrella of speculative fiction. So, of course, it talks about Mary Shelley. But then it's mentioned lots of writers that wrote in the 17 and 1800s that I've never heard of. So, like, Anne Radcliffe uh, is one that they talk about. Who's another one? Regina Maria Roche, R-O-C-H-E, Marianne Radcliffe. So lots of different writers, uh, Amelia Edwards, Charlotte Riddle. I've never heard of these women, but the book talks about a lot of the things that they wrote and they sound fascinating. So I will tell you, one of the women that was discussed in this book is Margaret St. Clair. And so... I don't know why, but I started looking up some of her stories to see if I could find something. Now, I'm not going to tell you about the story today. I'll save that for another episode. But I found this story, and it's really good, and I'll talk about it later. But anyway. How, so what what time period is she? She is, I don't know. Now I'm, I'm having to look through the book. She was born in 1911 and died in 1995. So she was writing in the 50s and 60s. Okay. So, it, I mean, this this book, I am on page 200, and I'm at V.C. Andrews. So they have a chapter on Shirley Jackson. There's a chapter on Toni Morrison. Later in the book, like, they have a chapter called The New Vampire, and she has paragraphs on different writers. So, like, she mentions Octavia Butler and Elizabeth Kostova, she wrote a book called The Historian. I read that. I read really that one too. Yeah. It was about vampires. That was a great book. Yeah. And then there's another chapter on, it's called The New Haunted House. And it's about modern writers who write about haunted houses. Susan Hill? Is Susan Hill I don't know. There? I haven't gotten that far. Okay. Does it go chronologically? It does go chronologically. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I'm on 200 and this book goes to like 280. 
But it's a great resource. Like I said, it's fascinating to see all these women who throughout history or, you know, since the 1700s have been writing horror and speculative fiction that it's this vast trove of writing that I didn't even know existed. So I have recommended this book. I have a student right now who is really, it's a a male student, but he's really into horror. And so I was like, you might want to look into this book because it might give you some ideas of things to read. So he actually took a picture of it today. So maybe he'll be getting into it. It would be interesting. Someone needs to study this. I'm sure somebody probably has. If male writers horror writers write different kinds of horror than female writers well this book does sort of address that a little bit that a lot of these female writers their writing their horror writing focuses a lot on the family on children on the home it it does kind of allude to that a little bit that some of their writing is horror but a lot of times it's horror related to victimization, uh, trauma, abuse. So different writers have different things that they focus on, but the the book does talk mm-hmm. about that. And you can kind of see some patterns. At the end of each chapter, the authors do a little uh, reading list. And again, this is part of the problem that I'm having with getting <laughs> through this book. So they have the book that you don't want to miss by that particular author, some also tries, you know, so other things you might want to read and then related works. So short stories or novels or novellas by other writers. So this um, would keep me occupied forever for, for <laughs> yeah. October reading for the rest yes. of my life. Yes. Okay. And, and, and really, I mean, like I said, I'm reading this usually before bed and I really enjoy it, but I'm having to stop, set the book aside, look up something on my phone. Then I start looking for their short stories and seeing if I can find some of their short stories. Now, the downside that I have found is that because a lot of these writers wrote so long ago, it is hard to find. The library is not going to have them. So you're probably going to have to purchase a book. But some of them, like one of the writers it's in an anthology of Irish horror stories. So you can find them, but it, it's a little harder, especially some of the older writers, to find PDFs online of short stories. And I will say, if you're a person who cares about what the cover looks like, it's a beautiful cover. It is a beautiful cover. It's got Tony, and it's got Shirley, and it's got Mary right on the, right on right the, on the cover. Yep. And Frankenstein. Or Frankenstein's monster, actually, because everybody gets that wrong. So anyway, that's enough of, of me blathering on. Amy, what are you, Amy Miller, we have two Amys. Amy Miller, what, what have you been reading? So I have ADD, and I can't just read one book. I always have to switch out. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Are they different genres? Yeah, or it's all over the place. Okay, because sometimes Truly. I can read multiple, but I can't read like multiple fiction at one time. It has to be like a nonfiction one and then a fiction one. And otherwise I get it all mixed up in here. You're going to think I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm reading The Power, which really fits into what you're talking about as sort of a speculative kind of horror, political feminist drama. It's about suddenly women have this electrical power within their bodies And women who have been abused for years across the globe start striking back. And it looks at what happened as women 
gain power. And there's sort of a cult of this one woman who took to the the internet to do videos and sort of formed her own religion. And it's so dark that, you know, at first I was like, yeah. (laughs) And then, and as I get into it, it's just, it's really that whoever is in power is always going to be corrupt. And it's really hard to read. So I have to put that one down when it gets really dark, which is often. Now, who was that one by? Oh, sorry, Naomi Alderman. I'm finishing up Danny Shapiro's Inheritance, and I went to hear her. How was that? I wanted to go. It was good. She really stuck to a conversation about the book. So really was focused on the story of Inheritance. So if you've already read the book, it wasn't any new information. She just elaborated a little bit. But for those of you who don't know what it is, Danny Shapiro was raised Orthodox Jewish and discovered after doing a very uh, last-minute DNA test, like a you know, like one of those twenty-three twenty-three and me. And me sort of things, that she and her sister shared no biological information. Her sister was a stepsister, but they shared a father. And so within 24 hours, she figured out that she wasn't her father's daughter and she tracked down who her real father was. (laughs) That's what the book's about. So it's fascinating and it brings up a lot of really interesting ethical. Like identity. Yeah. Oh, you're you're not the same person that you thought you were. questions. And your parents aren't the same people you thought they were. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating. I always love David Sedaris, and, and I kind of went on a hiatus from David Sedaris for a while because I got saturated. But I picked up Calypso, and it's really sweet. And I mostly picked it up because I read that beautiful New Yorker story he did about his sister's suicide, mm-hmm. and it was so, so powerful. I wanted to see what else was in the in the book. So that's been enjoyable and, and definitely one that you can pick up and put down. Yeah. And then I just started... Audie Barkin's memoir called Eyes to the Wind. And he is a political activist who discovered at age 34 that he has ALS. And it's pretty progressed at this stage. But when he wrote the book, I think he was still mobile. Like he, had, he was in a wheelchair at that point, but could talk. He can't talk anymore. Oh, but he still makes appearances on various podcasts. And he's so outspoken and very funny. So it's both about, you know, what it means to be newly married, have a baby, 34 years old and discovered that. 34? 34. Oh, my goodness. He's one of the youngest people Mm. to get this diagnosis. But it's also about how his political life sort of took off as soon as he had this Mm. diagnosis. And he's a beautiful writer, so I'm really enjoying that one. And I squeeze all this in before bed. Oh, my gosh. Because I have to read to go to sleep. So Okay, so here's my question. Do you read a little bit of all of them before you go to no. sleep? Or you just like pick one a night and you like alternate? I alternate. Okay. I alternate. And I, f- I found my kindred spirit. I don't, I, although I don't know that I've ever had four going on at once. Yes, I've had like three. This is bad. This is bad. <laughs> and actually, I've always had stacks next to my bed. It's a pyramid. I have a pyramid <laughs> next to my bed. And... <laughs> the secret point, lives of book lovers right. at one point this summer i turned to my husband and i was like you know i think i could probably invest in a bookshelf 
I got one of those little metal book cards. We have a lot of bookshelves in our house, and I had filled all those up. And I'm like, well, I'll get one of those cute little book carts and sit next to a, a chair. And it does look very cute, but now that one's overflowing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know. Well, Amy, Smalley, yes. what are you reading? I read a Stephen King book. And it's called Dr. Sleep. It came out in 2013. And the backstory to this is that as a teenager, I was a huge Stephen King fan. I loved it. I loved Misery. I loved The Shining. I loved the movie of The Shining almost as much. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. But as I moved into college and I decided to be an English major, I sort of let King go. He had written a few stinkers at that point. And if you've ever read his book on writing... Uh, he readily admits that, that he wrote quite a few. I think that was in his heavy, like, drug Drinking, yeah. 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 Anyway, I decided that I should be reading more serious books, and so I let him go. But I've always sort of had a soft spot for him. So when I heard recently that he'd written a sequel to The Shining and that it was being made into a movie, I knew that I had to revisit one of these favorite authors from my childhood. So besides the book on writing, which I did read, I think it was last year, This is the first Stephen King book I've picked up in 30 years. This is really kind of showing my age here, but it's been a long time. So I went into it apprehensive because I was worried that I wouldn't like it. I would think that it was awful because sometimes when you go back and revisit things that you liked when you were younger, like Pez candy or or, snow ice cream or music by air supply, (laughs) (laughs) you realize, man, that was really bad. Why did I like that? Right. But to my surprise. This was totally a comfort read for me. And I know that that sounds strange, a horror book being a comfort read, but it brought back all the feels of what it felt to me to read those when I was a teenager. Like all the feels. All the feels. Oh, and, well, kind of like when you hear music from when you were a teenager. Maybe and it air kind supply. <laughs> it just brings back like, I don't know, there's just something sort of comforting about it. So I ended up loving this book. But I will say, I think you need to read the original The Shining or have at least seen the movie for to get all that you can out of this book. I think you could enjoy it if you haven't, but some of it's n- not going to have the impact that it should. So in the original book, The Shining, there's a writer named Jack Torrance, and he's an alcoholic. He's trying to stay sober, and he's hired by this large resort hotel in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado to be the caretaker over the winter. In the winter, it's inaccessible because of all the snow. And so they need someone up there to sort of take care of the place. So he goes up there with his wife and his small son, Danny. And Danny has what they call the shining. And so he has some psychic abilities. He can see dead people. Other people with shining have other things, such like maybe they just kind of know things that other people don't know. Or by touching somebody, they can maybe, you know, see one of one of their memories. Well, this hotel has a lot of dark spirits in it, and his father begins to drink again, and they're all trapped in this hotel, and there you go. You have all the ingredients for a spooky read. So Dr. Sleep starts with little boy Danny, but now he's all grown up, and he also has an alcohol problem like his dad, and he becomes a drifter. But he eventually settles down in this little New Hampshire town, and he becomes friends with an older man who convinces him to do AA. So he stays sober for many years. And during those years, he is contacted psychically by a young girl named Abra, who lives in a nearby town. And she also has the shining, just like Danny. But her shining is much bigger and much more powerful than his was. The thing about the shining is it's usually stronger in children. And as you get older, it's sort of, you still have it, but it's, it's not quite as strong. 
the thing is that she's in trouble and he has to help her out. And the trouble in this book it comes in the form of a community of demons who feed off the steam or sort of like the exiting souls of children who have a little bit of shining. Uh, so that's basically what the story is. I feel like King is really a master at character development. And I know a lot of people think that he writes a lot of pulp. And that may be the case. But I really do think that the characters he develops, you really care about them. And so that was one of the favorite things about the book for me. And I really love seeing Danny again. He, he was a great character. I wouldn't say that this book is super scary. It's more about psychic abilities and the paranormal. There's not a lot of gore. There's not a lot of gratuitous violence. It didn't keep me awake at night. Um, it didn't make me scared to walk around in my house with the lights off like Haunting of Hill House did. <laughs> and I'm a big chicken. I mean, when I go to a horror movie, I have to cover my eyes probably 50% of the movie. So it didn't scare me in that way. It is a large book. It's over 500 pages. But for me, it was a total page turner. I read it in five days. Will I give Stephen King a novels another try? And I've decided maybe I will read one every Halloween season. Awesome. So there you go. Well, I, I, I need to circle back because you bring up Stephen King. His wife was mentioned in the book that yes, I talked about. She, yes, she is a writer and their son, Joe Hill, is also a horror writer who is having quite a bit of success right now. And he looks exactly like his dad at the same age. He's got all that black hair, black beard, glasses. Well, Stephen King's the word. I guess. The King family's the word, I guess. <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Amy Miller her top five. We're back with Amy Miller, and we're going to be asking her her top five. So, Amy, your top dream writing gig, what would it be? So... I guess I need to ask you, what do you mean by gig? <laughs> well, it could be short term or long, whatever you choose, any type of writing job that you could get. Well, I would say that, honestly, I think I'm doing it. If I could get my picture books published, then I think I've made it. Picture book writers don't make a lot of money. They don't. But I don't make a lot of money now in nonprofit anyway. And it's such a joy to write picture books. I realized how much I loved them when I thought back in my early 20s and I was working at Hollyhook Booksellers. I started collecting picture books and I didn't want to have children. <laughs> I don't know why I started collecting them. I just loved them. And then once I did have children, I realized how much I loved reading them to my children. And so it's just really grown. It's, it's been there all along. So if I can make a living by writing for children, that would be, <laughs> that would be perfect. Yes. For me, it would be if I could be a travel memoir writer, mm. if someone would pay me to travel around the world and, and then be Elizabeth I... Gilbert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, that does sound nice. <laughs> okay, so I know that you are an animal lover. You have three dogs, two guinea pigs and a hedgehog, which sounds just like my house, except for that we have... Not a hedgehog, but a hamster. What is your top animal story from your own experience? Well, all of our dogs are rescues, two of whom we rescued ourselves. And in fact, just two weeks ago, we took in the last dog, Iggy, because he was wandering the streets near my 
son's school and my husband saw him and and took him to his office but I think finding Charlie our second dog and she's just the most rotten animal (laughs) she's a little terrier mix she's got long hair so it's it's always matted and she just looks like oh something the cat drug in but she as a puppy and I mean like a nine-week-old puppy Somebody had dumped her on the side of I-64, and we were on our way home from D.C. at a wedding, driving through West Virginia, and my husband saw her on the side of the highway with an open bag of food and some chew bones. And so he stopped suddenly, and my children were freaking out, like, what is he doing? (laughs) And and then he came back with this tiny creature, and she was so cute, and there was, you know, we both were horrified, and just fell in love with her immediately and she was cute then (laughs) she still is sometimes she'll give me the sad brown eyes but she's she's definitely a terrier character (laughs) you juggle work and having teenagers Mm -hmm. what's your top survival tip so it's not necessarily something that I do enough of but you really have to schedule time for yourself I know I'm a nicer person to my children and to the animals when I get some quality time doing something that interests me. And working on my writing has been a good balance, but my goal is to start doing yoga again. But I've been saying this for so long, guys. (laughs) Um, Don't we all? Yes. (laughs) And when I get back to yoga. But no, I mean, I really think that is true. And the other thing is that When we have family time, even if it's just sitting in front of the TV and watching a sitcom that we've watched 400 times before, nothing interrupts it. Mm -hmm. Unless it's a call from my dad because he's 90 years old. But otherwise, nothing interrupts it. That is our family time, and that is sacred. So you've been involved with LLA for many years, Louisville Literary Arts. Do you have a top success story or inspiring transformation story for one of the member writers? So I I have a couple small ones. One is that the instructor for, in other words, Ashley Taylor, had been one of our students last year, the year before, and she's kind of following in my footsteps with her degree program. She has an MA from UofL and now is getting her MFA at Spalding, which is the same route I took. And she said that preparing for and teaching this workshop has taught her more than both programs. Hmm. Wow. And I was so excited to hear that. It made me very happy. And then last year, we gave a scholarship to a student who, well, a participant, she's a, a grown woman, who is in Section 8 housing and struggles with mental health issues. And she said that doing this workshop helped her work through a difficult living situation and sort of channel her creative work in a real positive way. So she started writing poetry and painting again. Oh, wow. So that was a highlight. That's great. Yeah. What is the top hardest thing, in your opinion, about being a writer? There are a lot of them, from not being paid very much to um, just the long road to publishing if you're trying to get something out there. And, for example, if you want... To publish a book, it's a several years process. But I'm focusing more on the actual act of writing, the craft of writing, 
And for me, plotting and planning a narrative is really hard. I'm a what's called a pantser. So we call ourselves plotters or pantsers. And a pantser is just by the seat of your pants. Even though I do try to plan things in my life, I get surrounded by chaos so often that I have to think fast. And that's how I write. And then I'll even find all of the narrative action And then I can't figure out how to end it. And endings are the hardest thing for me. So is a plotter someone who I've heard about writers who have, you know, a notebook and they have plot graphs and everything about how they know exactly how it's going to end. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And I tried that with a middle grade novel and I knew where I wanted it to go. And I got the first five chapters done. And then I was like, now what? So I do freelance writing. I always say, people say to me, they're like, oh, you think you'll ever write a book? And I'm like, I don't have a single creative idea in my head. Like in terms of fiction, I can write nonfiction stuff, fine. But I think the hardest thing for me is sort of being at the mercy of other people's schedules. So like I get a deadline, but I have to rely on other people because I either need to interview them or get some information from them. And it's like a waiting game. So mm-hmm. it's like my deadline depends on them. And that's the part that I find most aggravating and infuriating. Because if I could just, if I could get what I need, I would have it written. I don't procrastinate. I tend to just get get it done. I like mm-hmm. to be able to check stuff off my list. And so that's, I think, that's one of the, I guess, downsides of being a freelance writer, that you're sort of dependent on other people. You can't just do what you need to do. I mean, so I think I, that's, that's a struggle. I think that's true for all writers, unless you're self-publishing. You have to wait for the editorial process. And if you're agented, agent has to send it on submission. It just takes forever. It's a really long process. So if you are an instant gratification pe- person, just self-publish because <laughs> it'll be frustrating. <laughs> so that's that's what I need to know. People to say, will you ever write a book? Nope, probably not. Because <laughs> if I have to wait around, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> Well, Amy, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. And we're super excited to attend the Writer's Block Festival. And for all you writers out there, you should take advantage of all the activities and groups that Louisville Literary Arts has waiting for you. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.